Hello and welcome to IoT at the Edge, the podcast for the industrial IoT practitioner, evangelist, and skeptic. In this podcast, we cut through all the marketing hype and technical babble to bring you insights and clarity on the industrial Internet of Things. Now here's your host, Mike Farian. Hello and welcome to the IoT at the Edge podcast. You know, at the outset of the industrial Internet of Things, you know, talk was all about the cloud and cloud platforms. But interestingly, as the industrial IoT began to mature and we started to shift more from talk towards action, you know, that conversation has really transitioned back towards the edge. So joining me today is Tom Arthur, Tom's CEO and co-founder of Dynamics. Welcome, Tom. Hey, thank you, Mike. Glad to have you here. Hey, could you kick us off by giving us your perspective on why we're seeing this, this focus shift back towards the edge or what I'll call that on-premise user edge to be more specific, you know, when it comes to industrial IOT architectures. Sure. I think, um, well, the, the first, the first problem is kind of uh, basic and boring to be honest. And that is there's a, there's a lot of machines out there that uh, have data and you need to collect it. And there's new machines as well as old machines. And especially in the OT world, a lot of these machines talk protocols that were invented 20 years ago. Right. Some of the newest machines uh, using OPC UA are even doing machine learning now on the edge. So you have this whole gamut out in the factory and getting all that data to the cloud or even to on-prem systems is a, is, is a major challenge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's a, I always describe the edge as a very, you know, once you get past the IT closet and everything is no longer just an RJ45 jack, you know, <laughs> things get really messy. You know, we were working with a uh, automotive, a, a tier one manufacturer on a, a digital transformation project uh, some months ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, and to your point of the legacy equipment, I mean, they had equipment that was more than 40 years old that they were trying to integrate into their systems. And there was no control system on there. There's just some relay logic that they're able to tap into. So it's a, uh, you're right. It's it's a it's a messy and complex place. Yeah, you look at the uh, you know the old ISA ninety five stack. So whether you're talking about SCADA systems or DCS systems or OE systems or historians, um, they're not going away. And those are the tools everyone uses today, and um, they need the data. Right, right. So yeah, so that's really the first challenge I would say is just ingesting that data from the hundreds of protocols and. And it's not just the hundreds of protocols. Um, it's even when you zero in on a protocol, that that data model underneath that protocol varies a lot too, right? Oh, there's two big challenges there. Yeah. So just you know, saying OPC UA doesn't give you any kind of what I call data mapping. You know, you, right. this particular value here is that a pressure or is that an RPM? Um, you you need to still map that, and then it doesn't include the metadata. So let's you know this pump is out in this location. So not only do I need the RPM, I need to know where that pump is. So you need to add that information as well. And then of course in the OT world, uh, the semantic information is different on vendor to vendor to vendor. This guy's RPM is that guy's pressure, and uh, that chaos itself is 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 hard to manage for an OT environment. Yeah, yeah. And it makes me think, I think a lot of people, when we first went into this industrial IoT space, we said, okay, look, we just want to connect all this stuff together, right? And, and um, you know, when you want to layer deeper, somebody said, oh, yeah, we've got, you know, 50 pieces of equipment here that all speak Modbus. And and I think for some people in their mind, that ticked the box to say, okay, no problem, right? But uh, uh, to your point, the, the data mapping and the semantic uh, piece of it is, was probably vastly overlooked, I think, when people looked at it from kind of the top down. It's an old database problem, and it's it's not easy to solve. 
Right, right. So what about, you know, the, the next side of that complexity of the edge that I run into a lot is just how noisy um, devices are to the edge are in terms of, you know, look at a, a piece of automation equipment or, or even think of a, a factory or someplace that might have a SCADA system. Um, there's a lot of data that's generated by automation systems and, and, you know, because it's being used for real-time control and automation, but very, very little of that is at all relevant to um, to an IoT solution, right? So, so what do you do about, you know, the fact, how do you figure out what's the important data out of all that massive quantity of data? That, that's a fantastic, my favorite discussion when you start talking about quantity of data in OT is, is just talk about the classic vibration sensor. Hmm. So you, you take a vibration sensor and you stick uh, one on the XYZ coordinates of some piece of rotating equipment. Let's say you run that at 40 kilohertz. So the raw vibration data itself, that could be six gigs an hour. And uh, no, no one in their right mind is six, sending six gigs an hour across this new Wi-Fi network or even 5G. So that's the first problem. Right. But the second problem is, well, you know, why do I want this vibration data? I probably want it for some kind of condition monitoring or predictive analysis or tomorrow, even for root cause analysis. Mm-hmm. But how do you how do you do that? And so you, you've got now to do some processing out on the edge. And so if you're going to start doing these new workloads, especially with the machine learning and all that, you have to process that on the edge because think about it. Hopefully, 99.9% of the time, that raw vibration data, that six gigs, Mm-hmm. everything was great <laughs> you know, it's, everything's great hopefully that pump's working why do i want to send the everything great six gigs an hour across my wi-fi network i only want to send hey i think your inner race bearing is starting to fail here time to check it out and uh, those kind of workloads have to happen on the edge yeah yeah i think a lot of people underestimate you know so you're even when you take your one vibration motor example, then you say now on a typical plant, maybe there's 400 motors, you know, generating that kind of data. Um, and when people looked at this problem, I think the first pass through, again, going back six, maybe 10 years, it was, well, yeah, of course we want all that data up to the cloud. It's, you know, in cloud storage is cheap. And, you know, but you start doing the math on that and seeing what your your monthly, you know, AWS or, or service provider bill is going to be. Yeah, it's not that cheap. Right. Yes, right. yeah, so you definitely need, some intelligence out there at the edge to, to, like you say, that the pre-process filter that data, um, do some edge analytics before you send all that up. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's other new influences too, or, or they're, they're coming on strong now, you know, the concept's been around a long time, but if we start talking about AI and machine learning now, right. Then, um, that's driving a whole nother set of requirements and opportunities, I guess I should say for out at the edge. It's, it's, it's getting actually really fun to be, to be honest, you know, the classic machine learning discussion was, you know, send a gazillion terabytes to the cloud, put a data scientist on it and find out something you couldn't have found out otherwise. And now you got a whole process idea that you can, and that's absolutely true and a huge opportunity, but in uh, machine learning on the edge, it's usually more focused on really two, two big ideas happen out there. Usually and it's anomaly detection. Mm-hmm. So if you Back to the pump example, you know, there's probably a couple dozen common types of faults you can find on a piece of rotating equipment and using um, DNNs and ML models out on the edge. Not only can you do condition monitoring, predictive maintenance, but even root cause. Literally, you have an inner race bearing problem on this pump. 
And so it's not just go check it out. It's, it's, you know, and, and bring a new bearing <laughs> right, in, right. in the alert. So there's that. And then the other major um, opportunity out there is really mostly around quality. And it could be the quality of some part being manufactured or some process that's taking place on that machine. And you can do machine learning that actually interacts like say on a per batch basis, even modify an operator's behavior. Cause maybe you're processing something like food oil and the viscosity is different per batch. And so mm -hmm. you can, operate your filters and your centrifuges differently based on condition. Um, this is all coming. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really exciting to see how AI and machine learning, have, it's really just over the last few years, we're, we're kind of crossing that chasm and we've had some other you know, recent talks around that, but we're getting into the serious adoption phase now, especially around video and cameras uh -huh. where we just didn't have the, the compute power to do that before. And now, now we can do that right there. At the edge, so you're right. There's huge, huge benefits that we're, that we're starting to see out of that. No, yeah, we're doing some really, really interesting work right now. Actually, with with Adventech and FLIR um, around uh, infrared cameras, and uh, no, you're not just there's the, there's the basic and exactly where you went in this example. So, in you know, in a, uh, an infrared camera has three outputs. So it has a it's an infrared video, but it's also a security camera. It's a regular video but it also takes temperatures. And so you set up the objects in the field of view and you can pull temperature readings and send that off to PCUA or historian in the cloud, whatever. But you can also start doing some pretty interesting computer vision techniques like uh, follow a moving object with a fixed camera and take its temperature accurately. Hmm. It's uh, it, it's getting interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I often describe cameras as really the ultimate industrial sensor. It's just such a rich set of data if you've got the processing to go along with it. And, and what it really takes is that AI type processing, not the traditional sequential uh, CPU type of stuff. Yeah. And when you talk about edge ML, um, it's a little bit different life cycle, too, that's worth, worth talking about. Because um, you just let's just do the easy. We'll do the easy version of what I'll call Edge ML lifecycle. Um, the first step, of course, is you need to collect some data, and so the Edge is a natural place. If I'm collecting uh, video data and I'm collecting vibration data and I'm collecting PLC data, you could see how you could aggregate that data out on the Edge, and then you're monitoring this device and these data sources, and then some event happens, so you label the data. And now that I send this chunk of data into the cloud, you know, data scientists does their thing, they create models. But tomorrow you'll have literally, you know, hundreds or thousands of uh, admin tech gateways out on the edge, each one of them on a different machine, each one of them having a custom model specific to that machine. So now I have a problem in distributing these models. Right. So I need to distribute the right model to the right machine. And then there's like there's an all software, there's the update and upgrade. So you're constantly getting new data, making your models tighter and tighter. So the entire life cycle of collecting data, labeling data, creating great models and then running inference actually out on the edge is yeah. uh, is, is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what you're really highlighting is. Again, just this increasing role out at the edge and some of the challenges as, as you start to do these things at the edge on how do you how do you manage and scale that? So so let's talk about that a little bit. So what you guys been doing over at Dynamic? I mean, it, um, you know, with the uh, Advantech crew here, we've been pretty excited about your uh, particularly the fog lamp architecture and, and product. Uh -huh. there. So tell us a little bit about about that approach and, and kind of where that all came from and, and the problems you're trying to solve there. 
Yeah, let me um, kind of start where we started from and then add to that. So the first big idea here is you collect data from an edge device. You then can run the different kinds of transformations that we've talked about. We're aggregating data. I can I can uh, add meta information to that data. I can do the stuff we talked about early on, do the data mapping of that data. Um, I then can buffer that data out on the edge. Maybe I have a, a networking problem and I want to lose that data. I can do analysis and events out on the edge with that data. I can do transformations of the data. And then I integrate the edge to different destinations where the operators actually use it. I'll call it informant. So integrate to the historians, the OEE, and the cloud systems that the engineers. So that's the, the basics. But then you think about what are you actually doing on the edge and you're creating applications. So no different than your mobile phone. You now have these applications that might be ML based or they might be rather basic. So what we're doing is creating really, I would say there are three major personas that are writing applications now and need to interact with this infrastructure. So the first one's the data scientist. We just talked about him and that's doing the ML lifecycle. The second one is, you know, this is a chemical engineer or this is a mechanical engineer. This is not a C++ programmer. Right. So we enable them to write what I call no code applications by doing what's similar to a, a data pipeline like in Linux. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you, you, you connect OPCUA, you do this filters, you process it across this ML model that my data scientist just gave me. I then compress it here and I send some of these bits off to uh, Google Cloud and these other bits over here to my historian. And all that was provisioned, managed, self-served of a mechanical engineer. And then Fog went to open source. So we contributed the code to the Linux Foundation. So it's Apache 2 license. You can compile your own. So we're there to delight coders as well. So whether you're a scientist, an engineer, or a coder, you can all consume that. Yeah, and I think that's such an important point because if I go back to one of those original problems is, you know, we have tens of thousands of different data models and hundreds of different protocols and decades and decades of different vintages of equipment that that's not a problem that one domain expert can solve or one company can can solve so that that open source approach um, with the ability for the community to to um, to support and add plugins to to foglamp i think is hugely powerful yeah there's the, you know, there's and there's two ideas there then you have the older equipment with some proprietary protocol that this vendor may not want to share well they can still do it themselves and keep it private but now have all this benefit and then, of course, the community itself can add any protocol and data mapping they want. But then, you know, you go back to the industrial themselves. You know, they have all the flexibility they could possibly do because there's no way we know what are all the applications that, you know, this oil company needs or that energy company needs or that pharma company needs or that food processing company. They're radically different. So this is about building tools to enable those engineers to do what they need to do because they're, they're the smart guys. They're the ones that know the equipment, the processes. They're the ones that are going to be building these apps. Yeah, yeah. And it makes so much sense because there's just so much time and energy lost and so much complexity added when everybody has to keep reinventing layers of the stack that have already been been solved instead of just focusing in on on their unique kind of value add, whether that's that deep knowledge of that metadata and that specific device or protocol of something that was you know, built in 1975 or, or the northbound connection or, or like say the ML that, the, that they want to deploy at the edge. And, and the other benefit is we don't have to do it ourselves. So we were super, super excited when Google started contributing code wow. uh, 
clog my project. So you know, the first piece of code that they contributed was it's it's called IoT Core. So this is the mechanism to send IoT data into Google Cloud. And right. when they write the plugin and they support the plugin and and all of the, the the mechanisms and protocols and data mappings they want to ingest data before it gets to BigQuery and all the tools you find in Google. But they're writing those plugins. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, and that's really how communities should should work, right? Everybody take the piece that they're expert on, and and uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. exciting to see because it's been frustrating to see it, it slowed things down so much in terms of you know deployment of some of these technologies where um, just too many people trying to solve you know too many parts of the problem um, and and reinvent the wheel. So I, I think this approach of first solving this problem and then going that open source you know community. Um, yeah, I, so powerful. I probably skipped some steps there that are worth sharing with the audience. So, you know, the original I, um, fog lamp code was uh, written with Google and Dynamic and OSIsoft and a couple others. And, and that was called fog lamp. And that was uh, started about three years ago. And then if you're going to do, I believe, open source correctly, you go to one of the major foundations that, you know, have the governance, the processes, the trust. Um, to manage large projects, you know, like Kubernetes, right? Right. And so what we decided to do was we contributed Foglamp to the Linux Foundation. And the Linux Foundation has an umbrella group called LF Edge, which is focused on edge computing. Right. And so when you contribute code to the Linux Foundation, they actually own the code. And it's an Apache 2 license for anyone to use. And then they also own the brand. And so when you do that, they own the brand. So we need to create a brand for them. And so we call it Fledge, so as a fledgling bird. And we built a little peregrine falcon with a hard hat. So it looks like Tux, the Linux penguin, and they kind of marry up together. <laughs> but um, so Fledge is the GitHub repository of Foglamp, governed by the Linux Foundation. And it is the industrial IoT platform of the Linux Foundation. And so... So if you kind of think about Linux itself, think of us as Red Hat. So, you know, you can go to the Linux Foundation and get Fedora, which is source code for Linux. And anyone can get that and compile it if you're so inclined. You know, most people that are actually going to deploy Linux on some mission critical service, they're going to go to the Red Hats and the Ubuntu's and they're going to get a commercial binary version. So Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Right. Fedora is to Enterprise Linux as Ledge is to Foglamp from Dynamic. So you can call us up, get a commercial supported binary, and you can then get user training, you know, full level one through three support, no different than the commercial code. And you can also get developer training from us. Nice, nice. It's, it's such a good model because it, it also gives companies an easy way to get started, right? Without taking a lot of risk, they don't have to sign some multi-year contract. They, they can dive in on the open source side and see, you know, take this thing for a test drive. Um, you, you nailed it. So I'll give you an, an, an idea of how that expands that I'm super excited about. This is the last two weeks. Um, so there's another umbrella group under the Linux Foundation called LF Energy. Okay. And so first, LF Edge is a group of about 70 companies. So that's the Intels. It's the ARMs. It's the OSI Softs. Um, they're all there. It's the Hewlett Packards. It's the Dells. And so they're all supporting Fledge. And then there's a, a an industry vertical called LF Energy, which is focused on open source projects for clean energy. That's about 30 energy companies in it. 
And one of uh, the founding members there is RTE, which is the largest energy company in Europe. They're the largest TSO, DSO, transmission and distribution of electricity in, in the EU. So RTE, under the LF Energy umbrella, has taken Fledge, and they have written some plugins and contributed it back. One's called mm-hmm. IEC 104 and one's called IEC 61850. And these are protocols you find in SCADA systems in the energy market. Right. So now you and they and they rebrand. It's called Fledge Power. It's the exact same source code. It is Fledge, but it's now getting value add specifically for the energy vertical by energy companies. Yeah. Well, that's that's impressive because you know on one side and and we've I've done a, a podcast actually on this topic on on grid modernization and such and and those. Those companies are remarkably conservative and understandably so, right? So, it, but they recognize that, hey, you know, digitizing this grid and modernizing things, they have a huge, probably one of the biggest kind of IoT or digital transformation challenges, you know, we oh, yeah. face, you know, today as you look at the size of that. So the fact that they recognize, um, you know, not only the opportunity, but have got their arms around the problem statement enough now to understand that as they digitize, they're going to have a huge edge problem. So the fact that they're, you know, it sounds like endorsing um, Fledge or, or Foglamp is fantastic. It's not about they're going to, they have. So one of the huge, as everyone knows, one of the huge new things in energy is solar panels. Right. So when you start deploying solar panels out on homes and on businesses, there's a whole new discussion called distributed energy resources. Mm-hmm. Because suddenly the generation of electricity itself to the grid is completely distributed. And right. now that it's completely distributed, how does the energy company understand what's actually being generated when it's no longer concentrated at a dam or, or some, you know, a gas generator? It, there's, a, there's a bazillion of them. So right. they now need edge technology to monitor all that, control all that. It, it's just beginning. Right, right. And, and the scale is so huge that you, you only get a couple sentences into that conversation before you start thinking about how are we going to manage all these devices and the applications and the profiles and, and configurations. So, Exactly. Yeah. Well, our, our first public use case, I, I can talk about it, um, is a company called Jacksonville Energy Authority out of Florida. So it's the eighth largest energy company utility in the United States. And they wanted to do um, automation of their substations. So it's, it's interesting, the sensors that aren't on some of these substations today. So the first thing they stuck out there was a Modbus device. They connect to these million-dollar transformers, and it gets looks at the oil pumps, the oil temperatures, the fans, and the ambient air temperature, pulls that data, and Foglamp does the Modbus connection. Foglamp can run in a container. So they actually had existing switches from Cisco. So it's running now in a Cisco container. And it was already on a network, so then they forward the data to their operator who uses an OSIsoft Pi server as their historian. But they also used Kafka and sent the other information to an Oracle implementation for their trouble ticketing and maintenance systems because this was for maintenance of these transformers. So you have this data source now split, some going to Oracle, some going to OSIsoft, and then they do the next thing. So the next thing they added was a DNP3 device that measures... uh, gas buildup in that same transformer. So okay. now they're hearing gas buildup. And then they then they added the FLIR camera. So we started our relationship with FLIR at JEA. So they then mounted these large FLIR cameras at their substations, wide angle lens, looking at all the transformers, looking at the data, but also a security camera. Hmm. So 
um, and that all that on the exact same APIs, the exact same infrastructure for completely different applications. Yeah. You can manage it in a central way that way. Yeah. Well, I think that that underscores, you know, how important it is or how powerful it is when you have the right architecture and you've actually successfully decoupled um, your hardware layer from your, your kind of um, edge intelligence layer, we'll call it from the application layers. Um, all of a sudden, you know, you have a solution to any problem, you know, versus if you solve this in the old fashioned way, you know, you would gone to one hardware vendor to say, okay, we want to do transformer monitoring. And somebody say, oh, we have a piece of hardware. We have a whole software stack and we can solve your one problem. But then you want to come back and say, well, now we want to monitor the gas buildup. Like, oh, that's a different provider. And then <laughs> do we rip and replace the first stuff or, or stack it up? Yeah. The fact that you can do this is so powerful. That that is exactly it, right? So when you you actually you know this is probably not for this call, but when you actually get into the architecture of how you do that, um, this is all written in microservices. Hmm. And so you know what are the core microservices? You know, collecting data, buffering data, sending data, events on data, rules on data, and then of course the orchestration, which would be about how do I manage the application space and the hardware and all that. So you know, log management, right? Uh, typical IT problems are all there. I want to understand, you know, is it up? Is it down? I need HA. Um, so all that being broken into these components also helps, especially as an open source project, um, coders rapidly build new applications and new services on their own. Yeah. Well, that, that reminds me actually of one one topic I wanted to bring up is actually the, the name Foglamp. Maybe you can <laughs> tell, tell us about that because I think it's relevant to this conversation. Yeah, Foglamp um, almost tells you the entire the entire story in just the name. So uh, for those that have been following the uh, the IoT, so actually I'm new to the OT space. I'm a I'm a networking security guy. So when I first started looking at this, Cisco was pretty heavy on this new terminology called fog computing. Right. Yeah. The idea is there are these workloads that don't belong in the cloud, and I think the easiest example is the self driving car. You're not going to send sensor data up into the cloud to tell you to turn right or hit the brakes because everyone will crash. So there's obvious workloads due to latency and other issues that the processing has to happen before the cloud. Right. And Cisco called that the fog. So that's why we called it fog. But lamp, of course, fog lamp, it's kind of cute. You have light fog lamps on your car, see through the fog. But that's not the point. It's um, all caps, L-A-M-P, which stands for, if you those have done web application development, stands for Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. So Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP was the open source stack that drove web application development. You know, 97% of every website, e-commerce site, social network, Facebook, is built on LAMP. So... The big idea here in contributing this and making this open source community was, could we build the LAMP stack for industrials? What are the microservices? What are the tools? What are the driving things here to really enable OT application development on the edge? Right, right. And also mimicking that same open source business model, right? It's exactly. So, you know, this is all the mind share of the developer and in OT, no code developers are probably the most critical. These, you know, it's a mechanical engineer, not a guy who's a specialist in C And then this whole new type of um, coder, which is a data scientist, and a whole new kind of workload for them. You've got you got to enable these people. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, fantastic discussion. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about the work we're doing together, certainly between Advantech and, uh, and Dynamic. I think uh, there's a lot that we can do here out at the edge to help accelerate these, these applications and actually help people get to value so much quicker. Um, how would you like people to reach out to you if they want more information on Dynamics, Foglamp, or Fledge? Sure. Well, you can reach us uh, two major places. You can go to the Linux Foundation, go to LF Edge and look at the Fledge project. It's an open community and everyone's invited to join, even join the technical steering committee and the monthly meetings as we govern the project and add new features. And then, of course, Dynamic.com. And uh, you can read all about Dynamic and, and get our contact information. We'd love to talk to you. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Enjoyed talking to you today. All right, Mike. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of IoT at the Edge. Be sure and subscribe. And as always, for more information on Advantech's industrial IoT solutions, point your web browser to advantech.com.